you're listening to the True Life Church podcast. To learn more about True Life Church, including our service times in Melbourne, Florida, join us online at truelifemelbourne.com or find us on Facebook. Today's message comes from lead pastor Joshua Smith. Church, just uh, really excited to continue where we're at in our Return to Me series. Today is going to end up in a little bit uh, of a different place, uh, and I am excited about that too. You ever have those days uh, when you were growing up and you were in elementary school? There were a few days that you really loved, right? And a few days you probably hated. The days you probably hated, hated was, was, was testing days. Whenever you had a pop quiz, or well, you wouldn't have known about it because it was a pop quiz, but any test, right? You know, for me... Uh, I was in junior high going into high school when they started this thing called the FCAT, the FCATs. And just just testing and testing. It's like, man, you'd sit in a classroom testing for just days. It's like, this is so dumb. And I was in the age group. We, we were the pre-FCAT testers. So like when we went through, like, like we were the dummy group, you know, before they actually unrolled the FCAT to millions of other miserable children. So those were days that I didn't like growing up, but there were days that I did like growing up. Those days were called like recess days, like where you just had a, like a, a gym day or a play on the field day. Those were great. One up pajama day, right? I saw a lot of people apparently were posting uh, kid, pictures of their little kids' preschool or whatever this past week, the 100th day of school, so they dressed up like they were 100. Yo, I'm going to be lucky to live that long, so I don't know. I'm gonna just, I should have come as a skeleton. Um, one of the days I loved when I was growing up was a day called show and tell. Show and tell. Got to bring something from home and then, and then describe it and, and then share it with my friends and my classmates because I thought this was the bee's knees. That's hipster or old school jive if you're not on the DL or the lingo for really cool. I love show and tell. And so we're going to build to a point in just a few moments, a few moments loosely, because, you know, it's, it's me. We're going to build to a, a few moments of, of show and tell. And here's the thing. You all brought something today, whether you realize it or not. Like, I don't come prepared. Yes, you in the chair prepared. Check. Have that in the back of your brain for a second. We're going to pick up where we left off a little bit in Second Chronicles chapter 33. And, and before this week, last, last week we talked about this guy named Hezekiah. And Hezekiah kind of reinstituted temple worship. He's one of the great kings of, well, of Judah at the time, right? But of, the, of God's people, the nation of, of what we now know is, is Israel. And why is this important? Why are we talking about these guys? Well, as you turn to Second Chronicles... Chapter 33, put your finger there. I want to turn somewhere else. So while you're turning there, you don't have to go here, but I want to read it to you. And I'm sure the young adults know this very well. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. <laughs> they're, they're ch- the, our young adults group on Tuesdays are going word by word um, <laughs> through the book of Matthew. I think they're on the 17th the. 
So, uh, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And we keep going on, right? So fast forward. Now look ahead to verses 6 and 7 and 8 and 9. And David was the father of Solomon. Hopefully these are guys we know. Wife of Uriah, right? And there's a story there. Uh, And Solomon the father of Rehoboam and Rehoboam the father of Abijah. And Abijah the father of Asaph and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat the father of Joram and Joram the father of Uzziah. And he's one of the guys we talked about last week who did evil or did good in the eyes of the Lord. Do you remember? Did not do good in the eyes of the Lord, did evil in the eyes of the Lord, right? Now, after Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahab, and of Ahaz, Ahaz, do you remember him? Good, not good? Not good, okay? Ahaz, all right? The father of um, Hezekiah. Hezekiah, do good? Yes. Hezekiah's actually one of the great kings. We'll read about that in a, in a little bit. And Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, all right? Now, why is all this important? Go back to verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So this, this lineage that we're reading about here in 2 Chronicles leads to the earthly father, Joseph, wife, Mary, and then Holy Spirit, Jesus. Fully God, fully man, divine human. We're tracking with this? Okay, so what the guys we're talking about here is, 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 is important. Like, why does this stuff in here matter? Well, it does matter. And if you read through much of, actually, First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, one feeling that resonates within me is just, like, annoying. I'm just annoyed as I read through it. And I'm annoyed because it seems like it's lather, rinse, repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat, over and over again. Good king, bad king. Good king, bad king. The people return to the Lord. And then you have stupid king worshiping other idols. And then they return to the Lord. And then you have stupid king worshiping idols. And and calamity and catastrophe and other C words happen, right? And and then they return. It's just back and forth and back and forth. And you're like, from parental perspective, it's like, child, won't you just listen why with the frustration? Why with the disobedience? You think the generation before you would have learned, but no. And again and again and again and again. Back and forth and back and forth. Obedient, disobedient. Obedient, disobedient. It's almost annoying to read like, oh, here we go again. Well, Hezekiah was one of the good kings. And he did so many good things. And there's a really cool story before this in the chapter and two before this about how they kind of were in Jerusalem under siege by the Assyrians. And he had so much faith that like, I don't don't even care, King Sennacherib, about your siege of my city. We've got God on our side. King Sennacherib of the Assyrians was like, don't you know all the people who worship their own God and how many of those peoples and nations I've conquered? Hezekiah was like, bro, I don't care. Do not care. We have God. And, and we don't have much to the story other than God sent an angel to just wiped out the commanders of the enemy army. And then they left. Like, just, what? Like, we're talking some amazing, who knows what even happened thing. God sent an angel, and without leaving the city of Jerusalem, Hezekiah and his faith in God won the siege. The Assyrian king went back to his temple and his gods and his own sons killed him. Yay. 
So Hezekiah was a fantastic king, did a lot of agriculture and stuff. He had his, his moments of pride, moments of repentance. But in the end, let's look how he's remembered. In the Acts of Hezekiah, verse 32, of chapter 32. And his good deeds, behold, they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, and the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Hezekiah slept with his fathers. He died, right? It's not how long. You know, Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the upper part of the tombs of the sons of David. Very high, prestigious place. A few people weren't even buried in the tombs. They were buried, bad kings were often buried, not even in, within the city of Jerusalem. But Hezekiah was buried up on the top, upper part of the tombs of the sons of David. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem did honor him at his death. And Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. So, Hezekiah is now gone. We have this guy named Manasseh. And let's read verses 1 through 9. Now, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. Any 12-year-olds in here? Congratulations, you're king. Our nation is toast. Okay, so Manasseh, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. That's a good time. It's a good time to reign. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now pause here really quickly because there's a delineation. And a, and a lot of these other passages, you'll often read that they did not do good in the eyes of the Lord. Right? This dude straight up went from not good to evil. In the, in the eyes of the Lord. Like, it's bad, bad, right? And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Pause here. So he's, they're in, again, what we'll call this promised land, right? And we have this whole generation and generation and generation and generation of kings in this place. And he does... A lot of big no-nos. What are the no-nos? I'm glad you didn't ask. I'm going to explain you some no-nos. You don't have to turn here also, but you're welcome to. Keep your finger in Second Chronicles, though. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, there's these little things, ten of them, given to Moses on works of stone, hand of God, commandments, right? Ten commandments, right? And these go like this. I'm going to pick up in verse 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 7. Number 1. You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day, keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant, nobody knew nothing, or your ox or your donkey, they get a day off, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant, your male servant, and female servant may rest as well as you. 
You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, and you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. We have the Ten Commandments. We're going to have some of those stick in your brain for a minute. And then in chapter 12 of Deuteronomy, these are the statutes and the rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord your God of your fathers has given you to possess, which Manasseh is in. All the days that you live on the earth, you shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. All right? Anywhere that anyone worshipped another god, destroy it. Get rid of it. You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their asherim with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy the name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. Don't do what they did and don't worship God the way they worshipped their gods. But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose. Out of all your tribes, put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God. You shall rejoice, you and your households, and all that you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. And, and even today, it doesn't seem like everyone's doing right by themselves. Like they create their own moral code, their own version of right and wrong, and live by that. And this is a, that's a scary time when everybody's operating by their own code. Lawlessness. If, it, if there was no speed limit, how many accidents would happen? If turn signals weren't required, if seatbelts weren't the law, what would happen? Chaos. Destruction. Lawlessness. And so it's good when we have laws and rules in place. Not living by whatever you think is right, because what you think is right may be wrong. And what I think is right may be wrong. That's not enough. We have to submit to a higher authority, to a greater rule, and a supreme law. For you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. So there's some rules in place, right? Do this, don't do this. Now we hopefully know the Ten Commandments. And if you don't, this is, I would suggest start there because the law is not null and void just because it's Old Testament, right? In fact, Jesus said all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And they can be summed up, but you've got to know these ten. Have memorized these ten Keep them on the tablets of your heart. Because if you know them, you'll know what to do and what not to do. And what we're going to discover is that Manasseh broke a lot, if not all. Check this out.
So here's Manasseh. And he did, again, what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. So God, again, drove out uh, the, the, the tall people, the big dudes, the Philistines, the, the Jericho guys, walls come down. All of that has happened in the past, and now they're dwelling in the land. What a miracle. What a blessing. And Manasseh's going to stomp all over it. For he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down, following what God had told him to do. Get those other altars, those other gods, any carved idol, anything under any green tree, tear it down. And Hezekiah had done that and cleansed the land and prospered because of it because of his faithfulness and obedience to God. But Manasseh, his son, just one generation, just your son. And so if your child is here right now, think of it. Think of him, her. Do you want them to grow up in the ways of the Lord? So either Manasseh was stubborn, selfish, and sinful... Hezekiah probably also could have been a better father. Think about that for a second. Regardless, here's Manasseh, his son, picking up at 12 years old. So Hezekiah's dead. New king, 12 years old. Friends, you don't know if you're here today and gone tomorrow. You can't expect to teach your children or to say anything to a friend or a coworker or a family member that may not know the Lord. You can't wait for tomorrow that may never happen. You might be gone tomorrow and things left unsaid and things left undone. Does your child growing up know that, that you value Christ above all others, that, that you are encouraging a relationship with them? Have you, have you pursued salvation for them? And Jesus Christ, do they, do they know about baptism? Do they know about being sinful or not? Do they know the law? Do do your kids know what it means to be a disciple of Christ? Do they know what it means to be a part of the body of Christ? You can't wait for another day, so start young. Teach a child the way he should go when he's young, and when he's older, he will not depart from it. You've got to start. You can't wait for later. And so we have this kid picking up at 12 years old. Now, not a lot's expected of a 12-year-old kid in 2022. Here, here's an iPad. Go sit in the corner of the restaurant while mommy and daddy eat. Don't waste that. Put down the tech, put down the devices, disciple your family. And Manasseh, here he goes, starting as a 12-year-old kid, undoing his father's legacy. Undoing the journey that he had taken the nation of Israel on. To return to the Lord. Again, this series called Return to Me, right? And Manasseh, here's what he did. He rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down, and he erected altars to the Baals. Is that God? Just double-checking. No, not God. He erected altars to the Baals and made Asheroth, who worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord, page turn, had said, in Jerusalem shall my name be forever. So in like, it's like coming in here in a church and tearing down a cross and putting up a satanic something or other. Like, is, would, that be, would that make some of you mad? 
What if it was in your own house? What if it was on the street? What if it was in the schools? Where in Illinois, they're allowing satanic clubs, but not Christian ones. Oh, are we mad now? Are we triggered? Does it, does it matter suddenly? And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven and the two courts of the house of the Lord, and he burned his sons as an offering in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Killed them. When you got a lot of wives and a lot of kids, I guess you can afford to lose a couple as sacrifices. Did God ever tell him to do that? In fact, I remember a, a Ten Commandments said, Thou shalt not murder. <laughs> that probably fits the bill, you think? And thou shalt not worship any other god but, but me. Is, is Manasseh doing that? No, he's just checking off the Ten Commandments like it's his to-do list to break them. And he burned his sons and he used fortune-telling and omens and sorcery. I read my horoscope. I check my zodiac. I'm at a Chinese restaurant. What year were you born? <laughs> do you know, even, do you know what, I'm talk, what I'm talking about? Do people eat in Chinese restaurants anymore? Again, they have the little paper placemat that's got to be ordered in the billions of quantities for every Chinese restaurant. And they have the year of the boar and the snake and the rat and all that kind of stuff. Silliness. Because I'm not a boar. <laughs> Use fortune telling and omens and sorcery and dealt with mediums. From Long Island. Oh, but she's a Christian. Shut up. No, she ain't. You don't do that if you're a disciple of Christ. That's a conversation for another day. Dealt with mediums and necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And he, in the carved image of the idol that he had made, he set in the house of God. Of which God has said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And will no more remove the foot of Israel from the land that I appointed to your fathers, if only they will be careful to do what I have commanded them, all the law, the statutes, and the rules given through Moses. Is he breaking those? You bet he is. And Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. So the now, now the nation of, of Israel and Judah is worse, worse than the Assyrians, worse than the Philistines, worse than all those different tribes and people groups that were already worse. This is the worst of the worst. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore the Lord brought them up Upon them, the, the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who you remember, Hezekiah, his father now, had withstood a siege, and the angel of the Lord had defeated. They didn't even have to do anything in battle. God took care of that for him because of Hezekiah's faith just a generation before. Now the same group of people, the Assyrians, come back. And do you think Manasseh is victorious? No. And they captured Manasseh with hooks. That sounds painful. I think of no way that this sounds pleasant. They captured him with hooks. Like, bad. All right? And bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. 
And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Pause here. Up till this point, he's in bondage. Captured by hooks. No Peter Pans required. Taken away to Babylon. And he's done like a checklist of everything that could have made the Lord upset. He's checked that box. Now, for you and I today, as we get closer to this show and tell moment, it seems like for Manasseh, there should be no grace, right? He's, he's, done, he's led the people astray through the worst of the worst. I mean, if there, if there is a king that should die, it's this king. And if there's a king that deserves death, justice, it's this king. And if there's a king that is lowest of the low, it's this king. And if there's the king that is just, oh, oh, don't have words. It's this king. Now, in our eyes, we would pass judgment, right? Like, that's not going to stand. There's no way that's going to stand. There's no way that's good. Off with his head. And for you and I, Let's take a look inward. Because as you and I go down that list of commandments and things that Jesus has told us to do, both Old and New Testament, are we blameless? Are we blameless? You bet we're not. And as we go down the list and go back in the history of our lives and revisit some painful moments and sinful moments in our past, are we blameless? No, you, you may have worshipped something other than God. You have not kept a day holy to worship God. You've had other priorities come between you and what you should be doing in obedience to God. You have not loved your neighbor. You've been jealous of what your, your friend had. And, and yes, well, I've never been jealous of my neighbor's donkey. Yeah, but maybe you wanted their Tesla. Because that thing's electric. Boogie, woogie, woogie, woogie. You can't, you, and as we go down the list, there's something that you've wanted. There's something you've been jealous of. You haven't treated your wife or your husband right. You haven't discipled or loved your kids right. And you go down the list like, wow, that's me too. And what is written about Manasseh in here, do we like it? No, but guess what? That's also us. Because we are sinners, right? Are we blameless? No. What does King Manasseh deserve? He deserves death. And you know God can do it. And done it for less. Let's read this about Achan, the <laughs> story of Achan after Jericho. Took some stuff out of the spoils of war. And for that, God killed his whole family and their kids and their livestock just for taking some silver things. And I love it. I, I, got, I heard this. I'm going to brag on you for a second, Harrison, because y'all, you had a chance to lead the group this past week. Obviously, I wasn't there, but I see everything. Like that moment in Toy Story. No, I don't. I don't see everything. 
but you're connecting the dots between, well, why did, why did King Hezekiah or Ahaz go and get leprosy, and then King David also broke some other things, and you, you, you're connecting the dots, man. That makes my heart happy. Because God's looking at the heart, right? And the motives behind everything. Now, we would offer judgment and death to Menasseh. But are we blameless? Again, no. And in bondage, Manasseh prayed to God. And God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea. And he brought him back again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. And Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. And afterward, he built an, an outer wall for the city of David west of Gihon in the valley at the entrance to the fish gate and carried it around Ophel and raised it to a very great height. He put commanders of the army and fortified cities in Judah. He's building back the, the people again. And he took away, he took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord that he made and that he put there. Took it away. He had built on the mountain of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem, and he, and he threw them outside the city. Get these things out of here. And he restored the altar of the Lord and offered on it sacrifices of peace offerings and thanksgiving. And he commanded Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed at the high places, but now only to the Lord their God. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer to his God and the words of the seers who spoke to him in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, they are in the chronicles of the kings of Israel. And his prayer and how God was moved by his entreaty and all his sin and his faithlessness and the sites on which he built up high places and set up the ashram and the images before he humbled himself, behold, they are written in the chronicles of the seers. So Manasseh slept with his fathers and they buried him in his house. And Ammon, his son, reigned in his place. What I love about this particular story is the before and the after. And it took Manasseh breaking all the commandments. It took Manasseh being captured by hooks and taken away to a new place, being bound in chains and in prison for him to, to have that moment of repentance, of returning to the Lord. And from that point on, he served the Lord and led his people back to the Lord and undid what he had done to put idols in places where they shouldn't have been. Now for you and me and our lives, there is a time, even if you knew Christ where you weren't walking with him and you had a moment of repentance of brokenness, of self-destruction, of lawlessness, and you had what some people might call a come-to-Jesus moment. But you know it's more than that. Because for you, it's the before and the after. And what I want to do for just a couple of minutes is within one minute each, I want to invite you to show and tell. who you were, who God is making you into now because of your obedience and your repentance.
I'll go first just so no one feels weird. Because no one ever wants to be first. And I'm already yapping, so I'll do it. Many of y'all know I struggled with pornography when I got married. Brought that out of a painful relationship. This is 13 years ago now, 14 years? 15, actually. Yeah, that was fun. Wow, I'm old. And one of the byproducts of that, even as I recovered from that and had a faithful wife, was a problem with anger. I was just angry. Angry at the ex-fiance who cheated on me and a whole bunch of other things. And every day in Step Forward is an opportunity for me to be humbled and to leave that anger in the rearview mirror. And it's taken like a decade. And I would break stuff in my house. I would punch holes through doors. Oh, yeah. That's fun. We bought our first house, man. We got in an argument six months into being married. I fist straight through that little cheap door. And I'm ti- I got tired of fixing things that I broke. <laughs> Vases, picture frames. Oh, man, I was angry. And in a Manasseh-like way, man, I had to go fix what I broke. And I'm thankful that God has been faithful and gave me a faithful wife that I don't deserve. That's a little bit of my before and after. What about yours? Anyone have a story? Anyone want to share what God has done in their life? The mutual edification of the body of Christ? Lifting up of his saints? The glorification of God? There, yeah. Hello. Uh, like you, I, uh, you know, I dealt with uh, porn and sex addiction and uh, adultery, all kinds of stuff. A lot of that was born out of a fear of rejection. Um, but you know, there comes a time when, when enough is enough, you know, and. Um, through, through my healing process, I, I um, you know, through, through the battle, I mean, it was years of, of work and effort. You know, I met Beth, you know, shared, shared my story with her um, and experienced grace in a way that was tangible. And, and, and you know, her, hearing her story and hearing how she had dealt with so many painful things and yet she was still the person that she is. And that grace touched me in a way. You know, I, I, like, to, I like to steal a line from Dave Ramsey. You know, I, I, I met Jesus 
on the way down, but I really got to know him on the way back up. And um, experiencing grace is one of those things that now I, I get it. We see that on the cross, but until you like touched it, it it'll change your life. Thanks, David. You know, it's free. Um, a small story compared to what you guys have had, but many years ago, after my mom had died. My sister informed me that my mother's engagement ring was being given to someone. And I had always thought it would go to my daughter, because she was the only female in the family. And I was very angry, and she was very angry with me. And for many years, we had a very, very difficult relationship. And then I began to realize that I was not being fair to her, and I certainly wasn't doing what God would want me to do. And so I, I asked his forgiveness. And the end story is my sister and I are very close today. Mm. Thanks, Fred. Anyone else? Want to show and tell? Yeah, here we go. Uh, as a teenager, I really struggled with believing lies about myself. Just awful, awful things. And I, I don't know, it was just a very unhealthy thing. And, and you know, it, that kind of thing, when you keep going that way, you don't end in a good spot, if you're lucky to still be alive. But one day, I'll never forget it, I just prayed about it and woke up the next day. And I knew, like from that moment on, that the things that were being whispered to me constantly, they weren't true at all and it was just very strange that mentally you know I had just believed it up until one day where the Lord just said no you are my daughter and that is not true and I could no longer like as those thoughts would come even if I would try to believe them which sounds weird I knew they weren't true and it really was a miracle in my life that the Lord just and so now I fully understand why it was a bunch of garbage and um, just just so from a mental standpoint there, just the just the work he did for me just opened up so much more as I got older. So praise to him for that. Amen. Amen. Yeah. When I was a boy, Jesus came to me in a dream, um, and I spent uh, most of my life being haunted by that, um, and he came to me when I was uh, in despair. Uh, my, my upbringing was, was pretty uh, difficult, to say the least, um, but Jesus came to me early and found me. Um, and then I tried to make him happy. I tried to make God love me. He 
because that's the way that I understood love was I had to earn it still. Even though uh, I knew that to not be true up here, my life demonstrated that I, I still needed his approval and I needed everybody's approval. Um, I needed people to like me because I didn't really like me very much and I was envious of anybody's ability, envious of anything that someone had that they could do, envious of people's, um, just anything, anything that I thought was valuable or they could do better than me, I also wanted or was jealous of or, you know, and it just caused a lot of uh, anxiety and depression and self, self-loathing and um, eventually to the point where while in ministry I quit, I left ministry, I stopped working in a church because I couldn't, I, I couldn't continue on the way that I had been. I felt like a, a fraud um, because I had been to my own self my whole life. In depression, I went through about a good four or five years of being uh, suicidal and depressed. And, uh, and that manifested in a lot of unhealthy ways, overeating, over drinking, um, experimenting with drugs, experimenting with life, experimenting with morality, just sloughing off whatever ties to God and deconstructing faith completely to where I just let it go. I felt like I didn't even believe in anything anymore. And that's all while I was still going to church here. That's all still why I was here. And I want to tell you all thank you for not giving up on me in that time. Um, those of you who have stuck with me, uh, I thank you very much. Because your love and prayers uh, worked. And um, about a year ago now, Jesus spoke to me again. And he said, uh, you stopped loving me. That's where you went wrong. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard God talk to you, but it's the thing you don't want to hear. Um, <laughs> It's the thing that you know is true. And it's the thing that haunts you, even now, that you don't want to hear. Um, and I said, okay, well, I want to start loving you again. And I realized that he had done all this healing in my life and that I wasn't hurt anymore. I wasn't depressed. I wasn't a loser. I wasn't sorry for myself. I wasn't any of these things. I was a sinner that had a problem and I needed Jesus. So then that day we found out Rachel had a brain tumor that same day, later that day. And that needed to be taken out immediately. And then through a series of miraculous things, I found myself in a hotel room in Miami alone for three days waiting for her to come out of surgery and it was in that time that God met with me. I can only describe it that way. And uh, I, I realized I had one regret while waiting for her to come out of surgery because you know didn't know what was going to happen and we were praying and we were all praying together but 
living on the edge of a knife, uh, not knowing what will happen the next day, you begin to conceptualize and think about what your life's going to be. And I thought one thing only. I thought, why didn't you do all the things you knew you should do? Right? Why don't you live the way that you know you should? Why don't you be the man that you know you should be for her? Couldn't even do it for her. <sighs> Couldn't do it for the Lord either. Couldn't do it for you. Who could you do it for? You can't. You can't do it. And it was there that I realized I couldn't do anything without him. Couldn't do anything without Jesus. found me when no one else cared about me. When I was a boy and no one cared about me, he found me. He cares about you. I'm not crying because I'm sad. I'm crying because it's so amazing how good he is. It's incredible. He loves you and he knows who you are. He knows who you are. He knows everything about you. Thanks, baby. He knew that I needed her in my life. And for 30 years, he allowed a tumor to grow in her head. And he even used that to get a hold of me. Ever since that day, when we left that hotel room, we left the hospital, I've been a different person. It's manifested itself, I know, in a lot of ways in my life. Um, that change is available to everybody in this room right now. Because what I want you to do is I want you to imagine the person you love in this life more than anyone. The people that you love more than anyone. And just know you will lose them. You will lose everything. You will lose everyone you love. Everything you know. Because it's not yours. It's his. So repent. Repent of your sin. Believe and trust him. Right now, there's no, there's no fresh wind that we need. There's no new thing that we need. He already did it. He already poured out his spirit. We just got to realize it and recognize it and decide to believe it and actually live like it's true. One more? Anyone? Just sing from a distance. Church, let's um, 
just stand. We'll sing one song together, and we'll, we'll close our morning time here together. Thank you all for those of you who have shared in the show and tell. And, and for those that didn't, dude, that's okay. But don't, if you didn't share it here, share it with somebody. Someone needs to know the gospel in your life. Someone needs to, to see that it, through your life that Jesus is real. Maybe you can be the hands and feet of the body of Christ as you do what he told us to do. Go into all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. I will be with you to the very end of the age.